episode is our final episode our Our stunning conclusion of the Anna Nicole Smith story yes you have joined us uh on this journey we assume uh we read great big beautiful doll we watched the Anna Nicole Smith show we read bland blonde ambition we watched Anna Nicole and the um, and 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 Nicole. Nicole Smith story. <laughs> I think so. I think. Uh, and um, um, we learned all sorts of things. Yeah, we learned that you know the way the world treats a woman doesn't determine her worth. Yeah, and that was brand new information to us. Well, okay. I mean, look, maybe we knew it, but we explored it through her yes, life. Yes, I know. I'm being a, a jokester. Oh, you jokester. Um, so the plan uh, was always to consume this media, to yeah. learn about Anna Nicole's life and how the media treated her um, and to explore her story through these different mediums. Yeah. And then to synthesize this information into a creative piece um, that was the result of our knowledge demonstrating how we are now experts. Experts. Yeah. So we tried to do that, but if we failed... Let us walk you through because here's the thing. This is take two. Yeah. Um. We went. We went on a journey a couple of weeks ago. Uh. Th- uh. I think it was two weeks ago. This very night. Yes. We had written up an outline. We yeah. um had audio clips procured. We had a, a creative vision and plan. Yeah. We had like a little sit down meeting before we recorded. We did. We took a week off to have like a full. We took like, a week. Off. We had a meeting. full week off. To plan this, um, so it's actually we two weeks. We also fucked up that meeting. Did we? I made a, I made gazpacho that night. Yeah, you did. That was a good. I thought that was a very productive. Well, night. I feel like the gazpacho was successful. Yeah, but we we did don't listen to Aggie on this one. We did a lot of good work that night. Irene, you did so much good work. Irene <laughs> is always the one who does more work. Don't say that you it's a mutual collaboration okay okay so we met up at a bar before we were scheduled to we had done all our work and then we were supposed to record our artistic statement piece yeah we went to this bar and we were just gonna like talk about what we were gonna do we're gonna game plan it was like our improv warm-up we're gonna zip zap zap each other we were zip zap zapping (laughs) and we zip zap zapped a bit too hard because then on our way home from the bar we stopped at the weed store yeah (laughs) and bought well well, first we stopped at the liquor store first we stopped at the liquor store and bought another bottle of wine because we were like oh we only had one glass of wine that won't yeah that's what come on guys so and then Aggie's favorite weed store was across the street and she was like it's 20% off whatever gummies or something it's like yeah they do like 10% off edibles on on Thursdays and I was like at that price I can't afford not to (laughs) I mean could you afford not to so we both went in we dropped some money at the fucking weed store yeah and it turned out my pen was oozing liquid we because we ripped it open like a couple like wild animals yes like jackals (laughs) but like in the street the second we stepped outside we like ripped open the cardboard and we're like get it out now the cop was like not here not here yeah there was a the cop inside was like unfortunately can't do it in the store we were like okay so we went whatever narc on the sidewalk and just opened it there and it was defective merchandise we did yeah that was very lucky we did because it was like four minutes to closing and they were like oh well then they had to like look a they, bar. It, it was. It was a whole thing because Irene, yeah, I had to make an, do an exchange. I had to do an exchange because it was leaky. It was leaky, and, and I have read about those that they leak. They do. Yeah, but I've never gotten one like that. But I've read that that's a problem with that brand. But I do like them a lot. Yeah, 
if uh, any company would like to sponsor us, we'll say what it is, but we won't say that you leak. That's right. That's listen to how discreet we are That's with right. um, faulty merchandise. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we uh, we got we got the pen. We working. got it working. We got it working. <laughs> and then we stumble back to Aggie's house, and yeah. at this point, it's like. 10 30 at, at night least, it was after 10 o'clock yeah and we're like let's go and aggie is like should we do this should we not and it's like no we made a commitment i have we paperwork have to do this. i and we did have paperwork yes i'm i actually have the same notebook so i'm looking at it right now as a matter of fact we instagrammed a photo of me doing of homework doing at, the bar. at the bar as so, if we were really going to deliver on that I, well okay so it wasn't you it's me no, i'll d- take full responsibility aggie, for it, it this is again a mutual thing like i can't help it in the spirit of anna nicole dot 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 did we did we was it an art piece in the spirit of anna nicole oh did we create art Uh uh-huh in its absence just think about it i'll think about it i'm thinking i don't like the answer that i have right now but i'll think about it and see if i can shoehorn in (laughs) what i want to believe about it perfect (laughs) Uh, okay so we come back to aggie's house um much to the chagrin of brian yes my live-in lover Uh, but meanwhile, we noisily set up the computer, the mics. We do the whole thing. We insisted. We insisted. We have a whole other bottle of wine to get through. Sure. So we settle in yeah. and we start going through the outline. And ladies and gentlemen, we are sorry to report that that podcast is unlistenable. Well, let's talk about how long it is. Mm, it's three hours long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember any of it. Uh, you listen to it, right? I listen to it. I think that there's chunks that are great. There are usable chunks. There's a very long conversation we have about the movie Fargo. Yeah, we're not going to rehash it here because I suspect I had a very bad take. I suspect that I don't really care about it. Maybe that's the you, boldest take of all. I mean, not even not even that I don't care about the movie. That I don't care about my opinion about it. That is profound. Yeah, I am like that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you heard me cling um, the glass. Yeah, we're also drinking for this one. Yeah, it um, it is a sparkling rosé. Here's the thing. We're putting a punctuation on our Anna Nicole series and um, this is the final episode. We have a little treat for you later on because yeah. we did record... Uh, Another one. A mini episode about the opera. Yes. That was made about Anna Nicole's life. So we watched an opera about Anna's life. Um, We have opinions about that. Yes. And um, that was actually an episode that was cut short because you were on lockdown after our three hour episode that went to like one in the morning. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I can't go after 10. Yeah. So when you when you listen to the second half of this episode and you hear it cut off, you'll know why. That's why. And because we can't go that late. Yeah. But tonight all bets are off. All bets are off. We're recording two tonight. And this is the start of it. Yeah. This is just the beginning. I'm sure podcast two will be coherent as fuck (laughs) and very enjoyable. It's going to be great. Yeah. Tune in next week to see where that lands. Yeah. Um, So uh, we are uh, next week starts a whole new series. Yes. And we're really excited about it. Yeah. The next series, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with Anna Nicole. It's like an evolution, I think. I think so, too. It's a deeper exploration of like what makes it tick. Do you want to say what it is? Yeah. It's erotica. Yes. And our first episode is going to be about the book Fifty Fifty Shades Shades of of Grey. Grey. Uh, an extremely popular, obviously self-published novel by E.L. James. Yeah, and this I is self-published. It started as a self-published. It started as um something that she posted on a. We'll get to it. Ne- li- tune in next week for the details. Yeah, no, I. But I think the whatever we'll talk about it next week. Um, it did start as like a oh, fan fiction from a yes. blog. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so. And we're not just talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. We're also... 
going to read uh this is mostly like things that we're reading at this point this one is pretty much all books yeah so yeah. it's like a nice little book club um, yeah and this is like an easy one we'll release them all a week early so that you'll be able to catch up but if you want to read 50 shades of gray for the podcast i mean start, start early right now because that motherfucker is it's so 560 long. pages long it's as I... long as our podcast was last week yes and and much better <laughs> <laughs> up for debate um uh, we're gonna read some of Anne rice's uh erotic the works fiction. of Anne rice we're gonna read the story of O. yes we're gonna read the story of the eye the story of the eye and we're gonna read justine by, by the marquis de sade and i would actually like to throw in another a response to justine you know there's been a, there were a lot of responses to justine i did over not i don't know anything about other than what it is um yeah women uh like uh there there were a group of feminists who really rejected it at the time uh, no like in the 20th century okay and then there was a woman named angela carter who wrote a book called The Sadian Woman about like embracing Marquis de Sade. So I would actually be interested in reading her response and uh, maybe some like, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in like reading all kinds of responses to Justine in addition to it. Well, I mean, yeah. Also just reading Justine, which I read in high school like a freak to prove to the world what a fucking freak I was, but have not even considered looking at it since. I, I also read stuff like that in high school, not Justine, but I did read Anne Rice's Sleeping Beauty series. Yeah. And I read those in the privacy of my own bedroom. Good. Yeah, I read mine in the privacy of my own bedroom. I too. was raised Catholic, so we're Secret freaks. I read mine in private because it was my grandma's copy. <laughs> I mean, I was raised Jewish and that's a Jewish way of being like, don't look at that. It's grandma's. Is this the grandmother that was hit on by Valerie Solanas? Yeah. Damn. She's a cool grandma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So erotica tune in uh, next week. Um, yeah. Tune in next week for us for the first erotica episode where we're talking about 50 shades of gray. Um, and you know, we've got opinions about it. Oh my God. I have so many opinions about Aggie it. Aggie is like ready to pop because off I so was, hard. I was, I was born to scream into a microphone about twilight and 50 shades of gray is basically <laughs> twilight. So it's too much for my brain to handle. And I'm so excited because Aggie has been screaming at me about twilight for 10, 10 years, years. And now I think, uh, our little corner of the world gets to. Yeah. Hear. And I didn't realize that, you know, this journey of the experts was going to lead me back to my first love twilight. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes maybe it's about being an expert on yourself. I am an expert on that. I'm an expert on myself. Good. Um, all right, everybody. Well, this was the thrilling conclusion of Anna Nicole, yeah. our um, three-hour drunken tirade might be released at some point in the future. Yeah. We uh we have talked about pulling segments out and constructing them into something at a later time. If possible. If possible, maybe it will be available to um patrons or donors. <laughs> if we ever have any. If that ever happens. So just keep your ears and eyes peeled for yeah. A couple of ladies screaming about Anna Nicole Smith, um, <laughs> which is what you've been getting this whole time anyway. So, yeah, so now we're about to shift gears. Yeah. So we're shifting gears now. But into, before we do. Yes. Before we do, please enjoy this little coda where we talk about the opera. Um, Anna Nicole Smith. Thank you so much. And oh, also, please subscribe. Yes. Very important. Please. If you like this podcast, subscribe. Rate us on iTunes. Five star reviews only, please. But anything <laughs> is fine, really, because it all helps. Um, it will help people find this podcast. People who are interested in expertise, Anna Nicole Smith, um, women's opinions, um, joyful conversations, whatever you're getting out of it. Others might get out of that. Get that out of it, too. So shrieking harpies. Yes. So please subscribe and review and on tell a friend and tell your friends all right enjoy bye
I had a dream that I was at a house last night. I was at, uh, I had a dream that I was at the house of this filmmaker that I know and her friend who, and this alien and it was flooded outside because of the apocalypse and there were all these like premature babies around and there were like babies everywhere and there was a baby on the window sill and I knew that it was my baby and Fuck. I know and I and it was like almost dead it was like in a little like um papoose like all wrapped up and so small and I picked her up and her eyes opened what and then she put her arms around me and I was like oh my god it is my baby do you want to hear a fucked up dream I had one time that I had to tell my therapist about I would truly love nothing more I'm almost certainly gonna have to edit it out it's so fucked up. Tell me. Once I went after, right after I first got BB, I had a dream that I went and I saw him lying down and I picked him up and underneath him was a dead baby. That feels significant. That's what I thought. And I was like, isn't that fucked up? And she was like, eh. Well, I think that that's good for your therapist to. To me, it seemed like, a big deal oh, I'm crazy. But then. She was like, dreams don't really mean that much. She was, she loves to hear about dreams and she's like, what do you think it means? But I think her idea is that like your interpretation of it is more significant than the actual dream. I think that that is a hundred percent accurate. I, I think will so say, too. Every time I tell my sweetie pie my dreams, mm. he always is like, oh, and he mm. acts like he has a real deep mystical insight into my subconscious, but he won't share it. And that how frustrating, feels, but also how intriguing. Yes. <laughs> Gentlemen, take notes because that's how you keep us coming back because we are like, what's he thinking in that deep well of knowledge and wisdom he has? Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck did I just reveal about myself? Nothing. I try to tell my sweetie pie about my dreams and he's actually, he told me several times, I love hearing about dreams. I'm the only person I know who really thinks it's interesting to hear about people's dreams because like, you know, that thing, no one wants to hear about your dreams. I always want to hear about dreams. Really? I love it. I think it's so interesting. Okay. Cool. And I love watching movies that are inspired by dreams. Do you love the last season of The Sopranos or the I second do. to last? Yes, I do love that. I love all of The Sopranos, honestly. I do too. I love David Lynch stuff. I just went. To- I love David Lynch stuff, too. I guess I never think of like surrealism as being like literally inspired by dreams. That's but I guess it is. is. Yeah, totally. I guess I just always think of it as being like dreamlike, but symbolic. Even though I know dreams are in it. I never. I always think it's. I always think it's like it calls itself dreamlike and is as like a way to be incredibly symbolic intentionally. I think that there is an element of that. And then I think that there also is something else that's like, just like literally dreams like Maya Darren or I don't know. I love like weird experimental filmmakers. Yeah. Where it's just, but are they literally inspired by dreams? I think, yeah. I, I, I mean, who could really say for sure? Except for the artist. And maybe they don't want to share. The beholder. Yeah, the beholder. Well, I guess to me, they're like dreams. I went to see this movie called Siesta by a woman, Mary Lambert, that's Mm. based on a book. Mm. But it's about a woman played by Ellen Barkin, who was Mm. at the Q&A afterwards, as Mm. was Jodie Foster. What a night in Los Angeles. L.A. is so cool. If you like, (laughs) I don't know. I just love L.A. I love it too so much. It's so great. There's so many things to find and explore and experiences to be had. And you can really write your own adventure. It's the most fun city. And I've also, um, people move here sometimes kicking and screaming like significant others or whatever. But <laughs> no one has ever regretted moving here. Well, well, I, I think a lot. Of, I think that. most people actually do. But yeah, I know. Pl- I, yeah. I, I mean, but I don't. You but when you live anything. here, when you live here, people are always like, I'm so glad I moved to L.A. Yes. I mean, yes. Broken dreams, obviously. But who can, but like you have your broken dreams and you're like, fuck it, whatever. At least I, I still sh- have I my sh- class pass and my weird friends and I can still go to Lock Mud for these weird screenings. And like your life is still pretty good. It's true. God, I hope that class pass does not donate to the Trump fucking campaign. But okay. I already canceled mine anyway. 
I uh, they lured me back in with 37 free credits. They do that. They'll give you free credits to come back. But well, you know what? I'm a sucker. Give me the free credits and then I'll get it a month. And then it's like I'm, it's a zero. You know, it's it, but then you keep going back. Yes, I do know. Um, but here. OK, here's what I wanted to say about Siesta. This uh, movie by Mary Lambert. Ellen Barkin plays a stunt woman who. OK. Uh has a tumble in the opening scene and then the whole movie is her going to Spain to like reconnect with this lover and like she goes down all these crazy paths but it's like a death fantasy Uh, that like takes place during her tumble yeah that's so cool I would say spoiler alert but it's a film that's not available that I saw at a special screening that is 32 years old so you snooze you lose that's right and I did, and I did. Hey, I if I had heard about that, I didn't know before Sunday about this. But she was awesome. And can I tell you what? She directed the uh, Like a Prayer video, the Ooh. Material Girl video, the Like a Virgin video, Gina God. Jackson Nasty video. And it's like, wait, we don't know about her. The film Pet Cemetery. Really? Yes. Give it up for Mary Lambert. She's just a freaky freak and she's living her dreams and she's like, I have a very active dream life. I bet she she's does. She's like, this is my film. The producers call me a cunt. I fucking love like a prayer. It's we they screened it before the movie and it it is a real statement piece. It's great. It is great. I love it. And I have to say Material Girl had like such a I don't think that I've seen that video in its entirety in like 20 years or something. That's no like a virgin is the one where she was dressed like a bride. She is. Yeah. She's like in the Venice Canal. She's in that. You know, what is the um, material? Oh, she's like I know she's Marilyn Monroe. She's got the long pink glove. Yes. But there's a framing device. It's Keith Carradine. And he's like, give me this girl. He's like a produ- he's like a sleazy producer. Okay. He's like, I just got to meet her. Ew. And then he's he he's like, oh, she's a material girl. Like I'm going to buy her diamonds and jewels. And then he goes and he's spying on her. And she realizes that she doesn't care about money. So then he's like thinking and scheming and then this it's intercut with the gentleman prefer blondes like yeah, Marilyn that's Monroe thing, the, the famous thing. thing. Yeah. Yes, pink and the boys are carrying her. Mm. And then at the end, Keith Carradine pulls up and like outside the studio in an old pickup truck and he's like, ma'am. And she's like, all right. And she's so charmed by it. Huh. And uh, <laughs> and, it, and, and like... Yeah, it's just so interesting. Griffith leaned over to me and he was like, men are liars. And I was like, yes, and women don't say what they really want. And then we were like, we laughed. And then I was like, but money controls everything. And then we were like, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, it seemed really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like Lady Gaga wishes. Well, Lady Gaga is not. I mean, maybe she's is she still available to direct music videos. Lady Gaga? No, the director. Mary Lambert? I don't yeah. I don't know. She does a lot of television stuff. Like I what? Like like uh, lifetime movies and things. You know what I was thinking? Because we talked about earlier the lifetime movie about Anna Cole that we saw. And in that conversation, we also talked about R. Kelly and uh how everything changed after um, that documentary came out and I uh, surviving R. Kelly. Yes. And I realized that that also premiered on Lifetime. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I think that people discount women's programming in general. I do too. But I mean, the one movie that we saw was like a true work of art and then surviving R. Kelly, I mean, like really changed like the world. It yeah, really it definitely woke people up to yeah. the crimes that he had committed. And yeah, and he's like facing consequences now. Finally. It only took 25 years. Yeah. Should we introduce ourselves? Should we start oh. our show? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm Irene Marquette. I'm Aggie Hewitt. And this is The, the Experts. Experts. And we are nearing the conclusion of our series about Anna Nicole Smith. Actually, we're like technically done with it. Yeah, we are. I just, we're recording, in my mind, what's a bonus episode, but we don't know. But it's not like a bonus bonus because it's like going to go on the feed in like the normal time. Yeah, it is. It's, it's not just like you have being to pay recorded for it. after we recorded the bulk of the other episodes. Yeah, this was just sort of like a follow up because after we've been, you know, releasing a few of these episodes and we've gotten some questions back yes some audience engagement 
Yeah. And we wanted to just uh, address it. Address it. it. Yeah. So like we wanted to answer some of the questions that we had. So and also some of the listener tips. Yeah. And so when we started recording this series in June, we started reading the books and watching the movies, knowing that we were going to record just like our raw feelings, observations, theories, etc. And then put them out into the world. Yeah. Devil may care style. Which is what we did. We did. And then people responded. And the devil did care. The de- as it turns <laughs> out, the devil did care. Um, so something, uh, something that a listener (laughs) reached out about and wanted to make sure that we were discussing was another piece of art inspired by Anna Nicole that we actually did mention on the podcast. You brought it up. (sighs) Thank you. Um, but we're going to talk about it in more detail today. And that is the 2011 opera commissioned by the Royal Opera house in london called anna nicole sure and this was written by the uh, uh, composer was mark anthony turnage and libretto by richard thomas yes did i pronounce that right i don't know because what i I don't know. I mean, I would assume they were English because it was an English production. Yes, but you, as you uh, mentioned, you did a little research and you found that they had done another show together. About Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. So So they did an opera about Jerry Springer and then they moved on to an opera about Anna Nicole. Where are they now? Unclear. It is, at this point, unclear, but if... Any of them would like to reach out to us. We, we would are, love to talk to you. Yeah, we're done with the Anna Nicole series, but just like on a personal but level, we, can, we have questions. And we'll record it. Why not? I mean, come yeah, on. What are they going to do? Sue us? Yeah, right. It's free. So um, they, uh, their play, their, I'm sorry, their opera, it's two acts. It's 16 scenes. Royal Opera House. So it was a commission, London. This is as freaking fancy as it gets. Yeah, and then man. 2013, it was in Germany. And then 20, also 2013, it was in BAM. So if you were in Brooklyn at that time, which uh, the listener who reached out did happen to see the opera, mm. she uh, saw it at BAM in 2013. And she said she thought it was an American production because it was, quote, very American. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. But I, I thought that it, I felt like it was very American too. I mean, I thought that it, the British love grotesque shit in a way that I don't think we often understand or give them credit for. Yeah, like their tabloid culture is so intense. It is so much more disgusting than anything that we would ever allow or accept in like puritanical America. And even if you look at, I mean, I haven't seen the American Love Island yet, but have you seen? No. Okay, so love, do you know what it is? No. It's a reality show. It's sort of like The Bachelor, but it's more disgusting. It's about a group of very young, ripped, attractive, 20-whatever-year-old English people from all over the country who are on an island. But um, A love island. It's a love island, but... um, they are even on the island. They're isolated from everybody else. We're all isolated on our own island. They are isolated on their own island and they must live in a house that is completely filled with cameras and obviously cameramen. And what it looks on the show to be mere feet from their front door is a host with a live studio audience who is talking about the things that are going on in the house. Really? And they're watching it. And I guess in England, it airs like every night when it's on. It's kind of like a big brother meets the bachelor type of situation. Wow. And the way that it starts is a group of men enter the Love Island house, talk about their like sexual exploits and sort of like peacock and then stand in a pool up to their knees. And the women. The first one to get a boner. They all have a boner the entire time. They can't (laughs) stop having boners because of their supplements. Um, But these women are like paraded in front of them. And the men who are attracted to the women, you step forward when there's one that you're attracted to. In the pool? Yeah. What Do any of them have trouble walking against the water? It's still water. And they all can do it. Great. They all have very muscular 
thighs and very strong leg muscles. And See they, above regarding supplements. So they can do anything. And the so whatever, these women come out and they basically they couple up, but the men get to pick the women that they want and trade them in for other women if they pick another one that they like more. But eventually it evens out. Everyone gets coupled up. And the couples then are required to sleep in beds together from that point on. Okay. We get based on who walked forward in a pool first? Yes. Uh, and okay. it is in one communal room where the beds are all facing each other like a panopticon. Hashtag Midsomar. Okay. Except for it's mid-England and it's disgusting and they're all like the most nasty little Geordie, which I can say because I'm from there and you could say it anyway, but I literally am half English and my family is from Northern England. And they're Jordy trash. What is that word again? That means just like Northern English, like from Newcastle, which is where my family's from. What is the word though? Jordy. Like Jordy LaForge? He was on Star Trek. I don't know. It's like Jordy. LeVar Burton. It's like G-E-O-R-D-I-E, uh, I guess, or Y. I-E, I-E. I have never heard that term before. And I'm sorry that I made you repeat it several times, but I just couldn't hear if you didn't know what it was, then I would want to repeat it several times because I want everyone to know that I'm a Jordy. Mission accomplished. Thank you. I'm going to blow this candle out that's behind me. It is coming in really strong. <laughs> Sorry. I can feel the heat radiating. It's right just like it's smell. It. The smell, sometimes, you know, a scented candle will cut, start getting a little strong. Yeah, I hear that. I, uh, Okay, I hear you on the British attachment to, um, like, trash. Like, for lack of a better word, I, you know, that is, like, highbrow, lowbrow. They gave us Shakespeare, but they also gave yeah. us, like, Amy Winehouse and those ballet flats covered in blood. Like, <laughs> there's just... Uh, I mean, the... I Well, they're a high class... The royal family is a disgrace <laughs> and it shouldn't exist. But it. But, okay, counterpoint, because I did hear somebody make this argument once and I actually thought it made a lot of sense, which is the idea that, like, having a figurehead that is, like, purely for entertainment allows politicians. I mean, obviously, England is a shit show. Yeah. But that, like, theoretically, the idea that having having people that you can project all of that onto, you can care about like what they're wearing and like who's procreating and like, Oh, is there is like a, is diversity being introduced here? You can have those conversations and that is all separate from government. And that I think like in the United States, those lines have been totally blurred. Like entertainment is politics is social media is like ever. It's all so blended together. And I feel like that, is a big part of our problem and maybe would benefit from having a stronger delineation between those two things. Okay. I think that is the argument of having a Royal family. That's the argument for having a figurehead, except for it's not because it's impossible because the super wealthy are never going to, um, have the best interests of the people at heart. Yes, they're always that is true. Yes. They're going to be corrupted by wealth. They're going to, and they, their separation from the day-to-day -day dealings of politics doesn't make them apolitical. And they're always going to have an, a major influence over politicians and the public. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. We're just so fucked. I just like, I mean, in England, they have to pay TV on their taxes and they have to. And if they don't, they go to jail. That may not be true, but my Geordie-ass fucking <laughs> pint-ass northern, and by pint-ass, I just mean he drinks a he drinks several pints of beer a day. Dad has, like, said that to me several times. I don't know enough about it to say anything one way or the other. Just, I know that from an English person. I just That's wish there was more of a distinction between like entertainment and government because I also feel like people are consuming politics in a way that they consumed entertainment. Every, like everything is content. It's like, it's just like all the lines are so blurred together. People never even observed entertainment the way they do politics now. I mean, like politics is more... Here's the thing. Politics now, incredibly disgusting. 
the people are disgusting. We're obsessed with their sex lives and their sex lives are disgusting. Their opinions are bad. We hate all politicians. Well, most of them. Um, very much most. Very like I mean like overwhelming nine 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 nine. Um, <laughs> but um, people uh, used to never like why people. It's just like we we used to have like so much more separation culturally from every public from like every class to class or like even just person to person. There just used to be more boundaries. Yeah, I think that we've completely blown past boundaries. Everything is muddy, um, except things seem so spectacularly evil, but uh, there's such a rationalization around those evil things that it's like, oh, people's minds are muddy. Like, everyone has gone insane. It's like, how are we not on the same page about, like, certain things are just flat out evil and people who do them should be in jail and we should like rebel against them and where our pitchforks we are all on the same page that's the thing okay but here's the thing we're all on the same page but the ruling class isn't letting the will of the people be heard that's it and that means the that ruling class will never let the will of the people be heard that's why the people have to make their will be heard well that's the whole point of america like that's what it's supposed to be about yeah and then they're like oh free markets but they're like we don't believe in that either right <laughs> <laughs> it's just like nobody believes in anything everything is a sham it's like what like the simulation we're living in is not something as cool as the matrix it's just that everyone's it's a more like the con Sims. artist. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Because that's the thing. It's like all the walls are broken down and now everybody can see there really is nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us honestly back to our Anna Nicole opera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, these creators. Um, Turnaj and Toma, which is how I've chosen to pronounce their names. Sure, fair. They are using the medium of opera to tell the story of Anna Nicole. Right, which is like a very, which is an appropriate ass yeah, cause medium. It, it is, it's a classic tragedy. She's a, um, she's got like the heaving bosom of a classical Or like, like she's heroine. like a, um, uh, like what is Carmen about, or like, um, even like that's what it's about. Yeah, and then like, remember the one with was Beyonce the one in it? Uh, she was uh Carmen Carmen a hip hopera on MTV, but that was Beyonce, right? That was Beyonce, yes. So I should know because I definitely I, saw that. I feel like she's like a fallen woman, but I I'm, I think it's like the same idea. I'm I don't not very know. Familiar with that opera, but whatever. There are opera. I feel like this is like a or a Salome. Like I feel like operas about like fallen like sexy women who are sort of fundamentally evil and cursed are like popular yeah i think it's maybe less fundamentally evil but like going down a path of no return i mean making choices that lead to their ruin exactly like a victim of fate eve eve's apple i mean basically it's like the that the idea that women are like fundamentally intertwined by with evil and unable to disassociate with it yes and like that leads to their own ruin is kind of like a classic opera trope yes or even if like they're just too desirable like i feel like that's like the thing because like their desirability is like their way of tempting you and like their your path into sin yes it is like the gods have chosen their fate they are meant to be martyrs uh and 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 also sinners exactly and leading men into ruin exactly is like too sexy she can't be trusted she must be evil and so we fucking killed her we did can I go through the um, uh, so this is the there's two acts, 16 scenes just to kind of go through a summary. We've got the the overture America sings the no, it's Mejia. So we watched you like not all of this is available, but we watched the first like 14 minutes. Yeah. And it was these first two songs that we saw the overture America sings and no, it's Mejia. Yeah. And it starts off and it's like, um, you notice that the um, uh, person giving 
what is that called? Instructions in the theater where it's like, turn off your cell phones. Oh, yeah. I did notice that. that I assumed that it was in England. What we were saying was at London. Yes. Opera, whatever the hell. But um, she... Translated for Dutch television. Yeah. But the... Which I wish it was like, why is it on American television? It's too close to home. It's hard for us. Um, Anyway, the person doing it had a... um, an American accent, which kind of reminded me of like, if there's a possibility, maybe you go and see, oh, Annie, get your gun on Broadway. And like the person. Hey, y'all. Exactly. Make sure you turn off your cell phones before the movie starts. That's where I am with the American accent for the reminder to turn off your cell phone. Yeah, everything. I mean, it's like a big production. They were commissioned to do this like. And like the sconces like have like cherubs on them, which they've covered with like masks of Anna Nicole. Like they've definitely like done it out. Like we are in Anna Nicole, like yes. America world. And it's like, like look is- at how tacky this is. Uh, yeah, exactly. I wish that they actually had done a Southern accent. I do too, but I, I don't think English people can even tell the difference anyway. <laughs> you're probably right but i can yeah um i it felt to me like when it started the sound was like a horror movie it had like this it starts with like they're just all like screaming and it's like just a really loud high-pitched noise sound <laughs> yes it's all like dissonant there's women on one side of the stage men on the other yeah and which i don't know how normal that is for like an opera for like how like i didn't i don't know how much of it is traditional opera stuff or like a choice like the staging the staging starting off sort of that way with just like a big bang like i i I don't know enough about opera to know what is a reference to something or you know what i mean because i it felt like everything was very intentional and like a reference to something but i don't know what that is I don't know what that is either, and I don't have a very, uh, like, wide breadth of knowledge about opera, but can I tell you that mm-hmm. before I left Chicago, I still live in Chicago, you guys, I, uh, I've i taught improv, like, almost everywhere that you teach improv, and there was a year that I taught improv to opera singers at the Civic Opera in Chicago. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they have students. Thank you. They have students that come from all over the world and they they work and train and they like apprentice at the Opera House. And as part of their like instruction, they want them to improvise so that they can be loose. Like the world of opera is so rigid. Like it's such discipline. It's such hard work. And to get them... um, to like loosen up they would they had an improv teacher and i was so lucky it was so awesome i got to do it one year work with these opera students that's really cool thanks and here's what i will say like thinking about it like just knowing what i know about opera from that experience there there's such a um Opera singers were great improvisers they were really good at improv games things that required like high heightened emotions for them to jump into big emotions they could do that so easily they had such a like uh an access to that that was like really impressive like i wish improvisers had that kind of access but yeah but they're not good actors they're not good actors and you think about these singers who maybe aren't good actors either but they're singing another language and like when you're singing in another language there's like certain things you have to communicate it's like big feelings big ideas like big emotions and if you're like emoting those big emotions even if the audience is like following along on like the super titles or whatever, they they can like if they don't understand exactly what's happening, they feel your emotions. It's like a toddler watching a Disney movie. Like they understand like happy, sad, lustful, yeah. whatever. Because um, it's through music. Yeah, it's through music. But it's also these like performance. Like I feel like opera in a way this is like my big theory about or my like my big idea about opera as like a thing is that it's so associated with high society and I feel like it's so regimented there's so much skill training that goes into it and it's a like all of the themes of operas are very like they're super emotional they're about like lust and murder and rage and jealousy it's disease yeah like our most primal emotions and feelings and you see people like 
feeling these things in a huge, in a big, big way. And when the women sing, they scream. It's and it's like the training that goes into having something so primal be filtered through something so sophisticated. I think like it gives sophisticated audiences a safe way to like experience those feelings. Well, I think that's like what art originally was. And I think it should go back to kind of that. Originally by when? That's a wormhole. Well, I mean, I think that people like improv is a really good example of like an art form where people have not they don't have discipline training there's nothing sober about it there's nothing demanding about it I mean it's mostly social and there's no distinction between a person who's training for it and a person who is um like a virtuo like an expert at it like there's no um space between them like you would be on the same stage in the same night and the same theater and there isn't um and as a viewer your distinction is like how the supreme court defines pornography it's like i know well, it when i see it well you're a v as a v <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like all pornographic you never i feel like as a viewer it's like you know like you're enjoying something or not but there's a lot of there's a lot of room for pretense and improv because so much of it is just like because it's off the cuff it's adrenaline based it's um it, it's either it's kind of like a it's all based on sort of like how quickly you can deliver it there isn't a there's no version of improv that's like I can hear you from the back of the Australian opera house without a microphone like there's no version of improv that's like you have this preternatural talent. It's like there are moments of genius, but there isn't a sustained ability like there is with like opera, ballet, like playing an instrument well, really well. Those are the difference between things that like people work on their whole lives to be like perfect at. Like there's a there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And and improv, like its brilliance is in like the ephemeral nature of it. Yeah. But you are still you're accessing people's like pure id in that way like ideal if people are good they're accessing their id and they're processing it through their rational brain and they're giving you something creative that is also tied to something primal and i think that is also what these like more fine arts are doing they're connecting you to something primal in like a very refined way yeah there is nothing but it is always it's if you're doing improv in that way it's always about ego like it's always about that as opposed to devoting yourself to an art and that will like rem that will like it's like not like there's no skill that will astound a person every single time. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, th I think I know what you mean, but I think it depends on the person. Like sometimes like if you watch somebody dance, like for me, like dancing will always like if I see somebody who's amazing at dancing or if I if I see like a group of people, I don't know, I'm just a sucker. Like if I see a group of people singing and they're all really good at it, like it will just make me cry like a trigger something. Yeah, in my that's brain. what I'm about. Like if I see people dance, like it makes me it, like I'll get emotional. If I see like honestly an improviser, like if I'm watching 35 minutes of a show and somebody makes a move that like makes it all make sense and makes it all beautiful like I'll feel the same way like it's all really yes like I deeply love that like the idea of getting to that place from uh like in a spontaneous way is just as moving as like people who practice and practice to get the exact moment right like it's it's different ways to approach something which is like getting at something true and real and deep and like that's what I love about it and that's why I think it's so interesting that like these people have taken this story and and processed it through something that is like so traditionally polished and like elevated like you think of when you think of opera, you think of like high art, fine art. There's yeah. nothing spontaneous about it. It's like purposeful and thought out. So to take it and like 
a tab put a tabloid story in the same um like opera uh to me signifies like mythic there's like a mythic quality to it these stories they're like universal there's something like it's like orpheus it's carmen it's like i don't know like these these like big it's faust like these huge big stories so to take anna nicole who's considered trash tabloid trash human trash and to put her in this space i think is really interesting well i just i think that she belongs in that space i mean i feel like also that space traditionally has belonged to people who i mean it is like the tabloid version of it they're all tabloid stories like richard the third like that's a tabloid (laughs) story you know what i mean that is um King Lear is a tabloid story. They're a total King Could Lear Could you stories. imagine ta- King Lear playing out on like supermarket shelves? Yeah, of course I could. I mean, of course I absolutely could. And like, I think they're redoing King Lear on like Amazon or something. With Kardashians? And I mean, I think someone... King Lear is Kris Jenner? No, like I think there's like a move. <laughs> but like, what if? Like, what if... The, they like- should do it where fucking Kris Jenner is King Lear because she yes, is fucking King Lear. She is like... She That's went the new crazy and the daughters are like, it's our kingdom now. That's the daughters already are there. Are you know who's... Oh my God. The Hadids. Yes. And their mom. Yes. Munchausen. Oh. Oh my God, you're Lisa Rinna-ing me right now. <laughs> that is King Lear. That Queen is, Lear. Yes, Queen Andy, Lear. Andy, are you listening? We've got a pitch for you. We do. Call it's just us, re-editing DM your us. old fucking show. Yes, but with like a, a dramatic score. Yes. Um, But anyway, I feel like her story might be considered to be trashy, um, but it's traditional tragedy i mean it's a fallen woman she builds herself up through like sex which is like she's obviously committing a primal or whatever it's called a a mortal sin yes and then her tragic downfall i mean it's like a greek tragedy it's exactly what we want except for now we made people do it for real i wonder if when they were doing like well, I guess like and the tragedies like King Lear, well, definitely Richard the Third, um, was like based on a true story. Like a lot of them were based on the the royal family. Yeah. They I mean, all of the Henry plays like all of Shakespeare's like histories were basically the Anna opera. Oh my god. You uh, mentioned a play while we, we, okay, so we watched like the first 13 minutes and we watched some other um, like uh, musical numbers that are available and you said that it reminded you of the play Uber Roy by Alfred, do we say his name, Alfred Jarre? Is he, (laughs) what is he? He is French, yes, he is French. Uh, Alfred Jerry? That's what I always said. He was very young when he wrote this. How old was he? Uh, I believe he was 19. That's really young. <laughs> so Ubu Roy is this play. Uh, and yeah, it was a French play that um, it translates to. It basically means like king shit. And it was sort of designed as this like big farce about a king who has i you know hubris i guess and um it was just sort of supposed to be mocking um like the aristocracy and it was supposed to like really like destroy like it was like what we now would call like the 1% i guess i read this play um i don't know in like maybe 2016 or like the end okay. of 2016 and I was like oh my god this is about Donald Trump this is the well Donald yeah Trump story and then I looked it up and somebody uh the, he, Donald Trump had a um 
he was trying to set up a golf course in Ireland or, mm-hmm. or like Scotland. And it was this whole like, I don't know, uh, Don Quixote adventure. Yeah. And they staged a play, uh, uh, um, a, like an adaptation of Uber Roy that was using Donald Trump as like the analog. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this. There's a great um, poster, I think of it, but I will say that it did remind me of that because it's the, it's a man who like falls into this job and like his wife is a schemer. She's sort of a lady Macbeth type character, but they're all so stupid. They're just like, but it is the perfect example of like failing up. Like the idiocracy. Yes. Um, Sure. Yes. And it's also like it was a predecessor to like absurdism or whatever. And uh, it was also a predecessor to like the what's it called? Green. I can never pronounce it. Grand Green. Yes. It was like a predecessor to that. I love the Grand Green. So do I. Oh, Aggie and I did a play a long time ago called uh, Lights Out Alma with two other actresses. That was inspired, inspired by, by Grand Grignol. Yes. So it was a predecessor to that. And uh, it had... Um, Which if maybe we should just back up to explain to our audience if they're not Wikipediaing, if they're in your cars. Grand Grignol was a um, French theater company that... Um, uh, use the horrors of the day uh, to like they it's like exquisitely grotesque so it's like yes. it'll have a murder scene in it but the murder scene won't simply be um, like a guy getting stabbed it's like he gets stabbed and then blood gushes all over and then you pull his guts out and then you trip in the blood and then you cut yourself and then you're bleeding too and then the police officer comes in and then he, he tri- like it's just a never ending bloodbath and it's, it's satirical it's supposed to be funny it's supposed to be horror to the point of except to the point of absurdity like violence to the point of absurdity that you're supposed to laugh and what i read if you want to like a modern reference i read a i don't know where i read it but i read a criticism of uh like in the classical sense a critique Mm -hmm. a review i guess sure of uh get out oh okay get out and they referred to the very end when he is breaking out of the house sorry spoiler alert but like you should have seen that movie by now come on the end when he like kills everybody and breaks out of the house as like a the guignol finale which i thought was an apt description yeah i think that that works uh i also i would also say american horror story is part of that tradition american horror story is exactly a part of it for example like a perfect coven is a great example coven the scene where the girl is having a flashback to how her like old manager or somebody died with a light falling on his head and then his head like shatters i mean that's queen y'all it's it's horror it's comedy it's social commentary it's supposed to be smart and political satirical ironic and they would actually use real corpses uh, from like like whatever the home like unclaimed bodies that would go through the that morgue. That is disgusting, and I did not know that. Yeah, they would use yes, they would real you they would use real bodies on the stage as props. So it was like um, that's and the audience up. it is fucked up, but it was like the 1890s. I also thought our Lizzie Borden play was Grand Guignol. Yes, well. I that was part that yes, I was very insp- I was very inspired by that at the time. But they would use the bodies as like um puppets and it was supposed oh to my be God. grotesque and funny and you would get a mix of the highbrow lowbrows you'd have like high society and you would have like you know trash street urchins coming in and they were both enjoying the same art and i would can i just say one more thing about <laughs> sure. it because i am passionate about it um that uh during world war ii they shut down for good because the horrors of the world were too potent and real that it didn't make sense for them to comment on it in uh the space that they were occupying anymore yeah and i feel like we're kind of entering that space ourselves yeah um before we started recording aggie you were talking about going to stand-up nights and just like how sometimes it is very like hard to hear people talk about like their depression and i feel like there is sort of this shared feeling of like things are so fucked up and sad and it's like how do we even make a joke about it like how do we even talk about this etc yeah 
I think that is a good point and a good place to stop for right now. We can get back into the Anna Nicole opera maybe next time. Is there going to be a next time for us? I think that maybe we should just... I think that we have tantalized people enough that they can go search out the Anna Nicole opera. I personally feel like I don't have anything else to add. Do you? About the Anna Nicole opera? Yeah. Um, I mean, I had some opinions, but I feel like we could close it out here. Do you feel comfortable? I do. Well, this has been... The experts talking about Anna Nicole Smith, the opera Anna yes. Nicole. Thank you so much this for is listening. Bonus material. Yes. And if you like this podcast, please um, subscribe on iTunes. Please the experts. Review us, rate five us. stars. Five stars only, please. Only five stars. And tell your friends about it. And seriously, if you subscribe and if you review, it will really help us out because um, the more that you review, and subscribe the easier it is for other people to find who might want to listen so it will be helping your fellow man and your fellow us thank you guys for listening bye bye behind your eyes we're with them this time